Father, we just come to you this evening. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you. We just thank you for this gift of life today. Even that you enabled us to come through the day, come to your house to worship you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. And once again, we surrender our hearts, our minds, our bodies into thy hands. And we speak to our soul, be still in the presence of God. Anoint us afresh our ears that we may hear, we may learn, we may study, we may understand. And we may walk in your ways. Establish us in your ways, O Lord. Establish us. And the youngest ones here, Lord, to everyone, teach us, help us to understand. For in your presence, in your ways, there is your presence. In your presence, there is rest. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So we are 24 days into this new month, right? Yes, 24 days. That means seven more days left. Only seven days left. Next time we come back on Wednesday, the month is over. It's over already. That means, if your maths is right, we have only 341 days left for the year. But 341. And 127 days left to complete our 10th year. I'm more concerned about 127 than 341. Okay. So the question is, as we are all here in the house of God, how do we see? How do we see? These are just numbers otherwise. How do we see? The days that is passing by, the days that have gone by, the days that are ahead. Because unless we constantly learn to see through God's eyes how God sees things, we will truly never understand what is happening in our lives, what is happening around us. Even probably one of those greatest scholars in Jesus' own time, Nicodemus, Struggle to understand simple things of the kingdom. Struggle to understand even what we know today as basic things about God's kingdom. He, with his incredible knowledge and learning, could not understand. So Jesus tells him in John chapter 3, today's message will be very simple and also very complex. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And do not know these things? Most assuredly I say to you, We speak what we know and testify. What we have seen and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? This is Jesus' response. Okay, he says, I'm trying to put it across to you in earthly terms. And you don't understand. If you don't understand earthly things, how will you understand kingdom things, heavenly things? To his disciples, 
Jesus said this. This is to Nicodemus, a scholar. To his disciples, very well-known words in John 6. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Okay? The words Jesus said that he speaks, the words Jesus speaks, the word of God is spirit and life. The flesh profits nothing. You have to look at the context in which Jesus is speaking to understand fully what he is saying. Okay? There is this discussion after the feeding of the 5,000. It's all about bread. In John chapter 6 verses 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. He says, I am the bread that came from heaven. If you eat of me, you will not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us flesh to eat? Okay. Now Jesus is talking heavenly things in earthly terms. Since my words are life and spirit. Okay. Scripture will say in verse 60, therefore, no, I didn't put it there, but verse, it doesn't matter. Scripture says that is at the point when the disciples started leaving. Okay. That's when they started leaving. Meaning, when we don't understand spiritual things, which is put to a cross in earthly terms, we start tuning off. Now you can't leave because you are forced to sit here. But you will always see in the kingdom of God, many people slowly leave. Slowly leave. They leave because they are not able to digest the heavenly things which are put across on earthly terms. Because the flesh looks at it and says, it profits nothing. What's the point? It profits nothing. So let's look at what Jesus is trying to say. Look at an earlier passage, okay, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 to 33. Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. So keep it there, okay, keep it there. Okay, The Gentiles, meaning those who don't believe, those who don't know God, really know God, doesn't understand the kingdom of God, seek after things that profit the flesh. Okay? These things profit the flesh. Okay, right. Otherwise we wouldn't be here, right? We ate, we drank, and we are all dressed. That's why we are here. It really profits the flesh. And that's what every normal man seeks after these things. God says, I'm not denying you these things. For your heavenly father knows you need all these things. Your father knows you need all these things. If you, if you, if you haven't eaten or drunk or dressed, you wouldn't be here. He says, you know. But, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things which you need shall be added unto you. What God is saying is that 
the normal man not normal is actually abnormal but the world calls him normal the 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 man in the flesh everything he sees or experiences he relates it to his physical or to his flesh but he says if you are truly born of the spirit that is truly biblically born again john chapter 3 verse 6 says john 3 and verse 6 says that which is born of flesh is flesh what is born of spirit is spirit he says when you are born of spirit there is a complete change of order in your life you now become spirit first and even if you are born again as a small baby inside born of the spirit has peter when he was leading worship um, he um, uh, read from the portion in peter says drink the pure milk of the word of god the word of god is milk the word of god is meat the word of god is honey meaning you have milk meat and dessert it's all of it depending upon as you grow but it begins we all began with milk we all we didn't begin with meat we all began with milk but that's a natural sign of being born from above you're born of the spirit this says my words are life and spirit and for your spirit god says my word when you're born again is milk it feeds you and if you keep on feeding and exercising that spirit he says you will actually learn to put spirit first and start actually seeing things spiritually first and not fleshly or physically that is what pastor vijay was trying to teach us past wednesday and sunday about coming after me god says come to me and come after me to go after him there has to be he taught it extremely i was fascinated with sunday message i may enjoy when i can sit under somebody else's teaching okay you remember to go after the second call in luke chapter 14 it says the great multitudes went after him he turned to them and said okay you're coming after me okay that if you're coming after me you're seeking the kingdom if you're seeking the kingdom let me tell you you have to learn to put the spirit first and the flesh second if you put the flesh first you will never understand what god's kingdom is if anyone comes to me does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters yes his own life he cannot be my disciple and whoever does not bear his cross come after me cannot be my disciple when you hear this 99% will leave because they are not able to put spirit first and understand in the gospel according to matthew same thing he puts in a slightly different wording which makes us understand better yeah let's go to the next one in matthew okay now he doesn't use the word hate he uses the words love more okay see the difference it's easy to understand he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me so it makes it a little more palatable because that word hate disturbs us but he says i'm not saying he says if you love anybody even yourself or anything more than me you will not progress further into the kingdom 
will not progress further into the kingdom. So what does God really mean by this? What is he saying? He is saying there is a kingdom in which we live. It is a kingdom of flesh. We are all flesh and blood. We are this kingdom we live in. And then there is the kingdom of God into which we are born again into. And God is simply asking this question. Which will take priority in your life this year? Let's forget till last year. Which will take priority? The question is, do we really have a choice? If you look at it. In Matthew 6.33, which we look, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does it practically mean? It means you put spirit first. You put spirit first. I need food for my body. I need understanding, wisdom, knowledge for my mind. And then I have my spirit. The question is, it's easy. One, two, three, four, five. Children sitting over here all eight in the morning, drank in the morning, dressed in the morning, and then went to school. Need food for your body, education for your mind. That's the order. Now in the evening, you have come to church. That order doesn't matter. That doesn't mean food is the most important in your life. No, that's not. It's how you see life from inside. How you see life from inside. We will think, oh, if spirit is first, then early morning I have to go to church. Nobody will be here. That's not what it means. That it also doesn't mean you are the only students in the church. There are many students in this church. All the students are not here. Because they also have made choices. They have made choices. Okay? That's what God is talking about. When you seek the kingdom of God first, it is a spiritual kingdom. A spiritual kingdom. Physical kingdom is very easy to choose because you can see it, you can smell it, you can feel it, you can touch it, you can do all kinds of things. But spiritual God never says we are destroyed because we do not make choices. No. Everyone makes choices. All of us are here because we made choices. In Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, this is what God says. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Right? Because to make choices, right choices, you and I need Knowledge. That is the key. To make choices, therefore, in the kingdom of God, I need the knowledge of God and his kingdom. To succeed in this world, I need knowledge of this world and the power of this world. Knowledge alone won't work. You need power too. Okay? In the kingdom of God, seek ye first the kingdom of God. What is that? Power. The kingdom of God, Paul will say, is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. Because the knowledge of the kingdom of God can depress you. Can make you a madman. Because you look at it, it is humanly impossible to attain. So God says, don't seek that first. 
First, seek my power. Seek my power to keep my righteousness. A lot of people get depressed because they don't seek power. They seek knowledge. And knowledge can be like, you know, like two days back, I talked to my sister. Because, you know, Ashwati had a baby. <laughs> Yesterday, Ashwati had a baby. So, my sister is completely worried. Though the first delivery was also normal, the second also was normal. She's worried. Why is she worried? Because she's a doctor. You have knowledge of medicine, but you have no power over the delivery. Understand? Same thing. Dr. Richard who was here, no? No, because you're a doctor and you have an issue. The problem is when you have an issue as a doctor, you know every complication possible. We, when we have an issue, we have no knowledge. So finally, when we are at the last stage, we go to the doctor. Understand? So God says, knowledge is not the first thing alone. It will make you miserable. Seek it simultaneously. I wouldn't say seek first this. Simultaneously. It is put together like it's in a math equation. 2 into A plus B is 2A plus 2B. It's like seek it first. The kingdom of God plus His righteousness. They come together. Seek knowledge. Seek power. Seek power. Seek knowledge. Otherwise, it will make you very, very miserable. Okay? To the woman at the well, Jesus said this, okay, Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. He said, the hour is coming and now is when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For God is seeking such to worship him. Why? Because God is spirit. Again, we come back to the spirit. God is spirit. So though I have flesh and I have an intellect, I can worship him only in the spirit. I cannot worship him in the flesh. I cannot intellectually worship him. I can intellectually admire him, but I cannot worship him intellectually. I can only worship him in, in spirit because God is spirit. The flesh will always ask this question, what does it profit me? How does it help me in this world? Flesh likes spiritual things as long as it helps flesh. Not that it doesn't like spiritual things. How does it help me in this flesh, in this world? Remember this fundamental fact. Flesh and world are made for each other. Made for each other. You need to understand, flesh came into existence the moment man sinned. Till then there is no flesh. We had a human, Adam had a human body and a soul. Spirit of God was upon him. He was walking in the body, in the spirit, communicating with God daily. But flesh was not there. Flesh, that spiritual entity in the body was not there. That was born. The minute man sinned, flesh was awakened. And through the flesh, carnal fallen man, the devil framed this world. So the flesh is made for this world and this world is made for this flesh. They are made for each other. Jesus, on the other hand, our role model, is the ultimate man who walked 
in the spirit continuously in the flesh. He came in the body and taught us how to walk in the spirit. Fighting this fight. Paul puts this fight very clearly in Galatians 5. He says, I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He said walk in the spirit. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So you do not do the things that you wish. Contrary. You want to do a lot of things. Now you in the more knowledge you receive. You understand, these are the things I need to do, because those are kingdom things. But you realize your flesh is fighting it, and you are not able to overcome because you did not seek power. Walk in the spirit, walk in the power of the spirit. Okay, that's not what we are looking at. Okay, so when Jesus came in the flesh, he fought this battle every day. And scripture says he won every day. Every day. He won every day. He never lost this battle. He walked in the spirit, though he was born in the flesh. Born of woman in this flesh, he walked every day, but won every day. So he gives us a format. This is how it should be. Okay? He's not looking at our defeats. He's looking at our victory and says, I want you all to win this battle. But there is a beginning. The beginning is John 3, 5. Very simple beginning. Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The power lies in the kingdom. Where is the power? In the kingdom. You cannot enter. You want power? First step is you need to be born again. Very simple, but not simple. You have to be born of water and the spirit. The water has two applications. Okay, First, Ephesians 5, 26. That he might sanctify us and cleanse us with the washing of the water by the word. So water there symbolizes the word. There are people who want to get baptized probably next month. Listen carefully. Water is the word. The word of God is like water. How are we born again? By by the word. Two references. James 1.18 of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be kind of first fruits of his. How are we born again? By the word. You heard the word of God. The word of God hit something inside. Why I am telling you is that many, I don't know, statistically only God knows, but I personally believe many, many multiplied millions sitting in churches, not outside in the world, are not born again. Not born again. Because they were never convicted by the Spirit of God and they were never born of the Word and the Spirit. But they have a religion which is outwardly Christianity, but no inner conviction of the kingdom. In First Peter, the portion just before which Peter spoke in 1 and verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The word of God is like a seed. That is how Jesus was born. He was born of Mary, but the seed was the Holy Spirit put in there. He was born of the Spirit. And God says, unless you are born of water, which is the word of God, and Spirit, you will not see the second part of water. First Peter chapter 3. 
who formerly is talking about the people during Noah's time. When once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through. How were they saved? They were not saved from water. They were saved through water. Okay? It's not like Enoch was taken away. Noah wasn't taken away. All around him, overside, everywhere it was water. They were saved through water. There is also an antitype which saves us. What is that? Baptism. It's a type. Baptism is a type. How are we saved? Through water. Let's look at what it means in Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized, saved. How do you know you have believed? You want to get baptized. Because you know, two people cannot live at the same time. One of them has to die. One of them has to die. And you also know that once you know somebody is dead, what do you do with him? You bury him. You don't keep, doesn't matter even if it's your own father. You don't keep him. Because you know he will start stinking. You know that person has to be buried. So when you are born again of the spirit, the old man is there. And you know the old man has to die. And the old man has to be buried. So all those who are born of the spirit, who receive that message, are born of the spirit, automatically decide, I am going to get baptized. That's what Jesus says. He who believes and baptizes will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. He says even if he does not believe and just go gets baptized, it is no problem. There is no meaning. You will still be condemned. Baptism doesn't save you. It is believing that saves you. But the believing one will always get baptized. And then what happens? There is suddenly eyes open. You are ready to be taught. The most beautiful part is that your eyes will open to this truth as you open your Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was void and was without form. And darkness covered the surface of the earth. That's you and me before we are born again. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. That's you and me. This creation of the new man has a form, but it's void empty and it is dark and the word of truth comes and says let there be light and suddenly we realize I am born again you don't have to go turn as you open the bible if your eyes are open he, we know that it has parallel meanings it's the creation of the new world it is the creation of the new man your eyes are open to God's truths so the word of God will never become spirit and life and our eyes will never see the kingdom of God, the beauty and glory of the king for us to desire him. We are not born again because the flesh profits nothing. Remember that passage from Isaiah 53 and verse 2 which talks about Jesus who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the, I think I gave you 53.3 right? Two, two, two. Yeah. 
He grew up before him like a tender shoot, Jesus, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Now, Jesus, if you go by scripture, which is true, was nothing like the movies you see with golden hair and blue eyes, tall and handsome. Naturally, we want to be around him. But that's not what scripture says. If you looked at him, your flesh doesn't desire him. Only the spirit will desire him. Only the spirit will desire it. That's why you will see the Pharisees, the Levites, the priests, they all stood up because they are all strong in the flesh. The sinners who wanted a consolation in their spirit were flocking around him. Because there is nothing in him that will profit the flesh. So even our movies are tuned by Hollywood or whatever would made these movies to attract our flesh to the him. Because they know if we portray him probably has Absolutely ordinary looking man. Like, just from knowledge from old days, like, how many of you know Ompuri? The Hindi movie actor Ompuri, right? Was he ever successful like all the others? No, he was one of the most fantastic actors. But it's pointless, he had no looks. He had no looks at all. You know in the movie industry, even if you don't know acting, you need looks. That is the flesh. Jesus does not profit flesh. See, the flesh also on the other hand sees no profit or beauty in spiritual things. Are you seeing the difference? The flesh does not see anything beautiful in spiritual things. On the other side, the spiritual does not see anything beautiful or profitable in flesh. This is the fight that is going on. The flesh of mine says there is nothing good with spiritual things. My spirit says there is nothing good with fleshly things. So when you are born from above, actually there is a opening of eyes. And a gradual opening more and more where we see the beauty of the king and the glory of his kingdom. Not just that, we also see the ugliness of ourselves. And Pastor Vijay uses these three terms which Apostle Paul uses. I am the least, worst, chief of sinners. What is Paul saying? Paul, are you growing in sin? No, he's not. He's actually aware of the depth and the depravity of man. You are aware of two things. One, you are aware of the enormous beauty of the king and the glory of his kingdom. You are also aware of the depravity of man. Self. Not about other men, about yourself. That's why he will say, put no confidence in flesh. Because I look at me. Absolutely. We are aware of two things. Our spiritual eyes are opened to God's beauty and our own ugliness. And the child of God is aware of this constant war. But we are called to go after God. The call of God is come to me. I will give you rest and then come after me. But to go after him we need the power of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. You see, everybody seeks power. 
The spiritual man seeks the power of God. Listen carefully. The spiritual man, whose eyes have been opened, seeks the power of God to fulfill the will of God. The man of flesh seeks power. It's not very much bothered where it comes from. He seeks power to fulfill the self-will. Both knows you need power. The spiritual man seeks the power of God to fulfill the will of God. The fleshly man, sometimes the fleshly Christian also, seeks power to fulfill the self-will. Both seek power, but entirely different ends. One seeks the glory of God, the other seeks the glory of self. We can look at it in how we react. You, lot of, lot of Christians give up in prayer. Why? Because they don't get receive an answer. Or God didn't answer them. And they get offended and they walk away. Why? Because the entire purpose of prayer was to answer my will. Think 2000 years back. Apostle Paul prays. There was this messenger from the devil sent to afflict me in the buffet me in the flesh. Three times I asked. Three times God said. Okay. We all know that. Fast forward it 20 centuries. If it is a today's man, it will be written. He stopped journeying left. He decided he's going to stick to one town. He decided he's going to stop preaching. I will just attend one church. I'll also look for a secular job. Then he cash became very casual about church attendance. And slowly he's dropped out and he used to sit at home and watch Christian channels. And then slowly he stopped watching most of those channels, started watching other channels. All because why? His prayer was not answered. That's how people react. How if Paul had reacted that way? Think how people react when God says no. Because Christ will always point to this reality. Always point to this reality. What am I seeking? Am I seeking spirit? Or am I speaking flesh? Am I spiritual first? Am I intellectual first? Am I carnal first? Let's look at examples which Jesus gives so that we understand ourselves. Okay, Let's look at something we all know. Prayer. Everyone prays except the atheist. The atheist prays only at the end of his life. Okay? Everybody else prays. So prayer is a very common thing. Prayer can be an exercise of the flesh. It can be an exercise of the intellect. But the minute it becomes an exercise of the spirit, the flesh loses interest. Or the flesh Fights it. Let's listen to what Jesus said. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. When you pray, he said not if you pray. He says when you pray. He says everybody prays. Even the hypocrite prays. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Why? Because they, they love to pray. 
I hope Sundays you don't come and think, I hope pastor calls me today to pray. If you do desire that bit, that means you love to pray. They love to pray. Standing in the synagogues and on the corners. But you see, when they pray, position is very important where they pray. They have to be standing so everybody sees them pray. Or in that corner of the street. It's a Jewish culture. All are believers. Okay? So suddenly you see them standing in the corner and praying. And everybody will say, oh, Rabbi is praying. He's a praying man. Let us go quietly. That they may be seen by men, not heard by God. See the difference. Okay? Seen by men and not heard. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Your prayer is answered. What is the answer to you? Why did you pray? Because you wanted to be noticed, no? Then your prayer is answered. They are all saying you are a praying man. Today's term, we give them a tag. What we add? Attach? Prayer warrior. You got your tag. God just prayer answered. This is what you prayed for, right? To be noticed of men, you have been noticed. But you, when you pray, God's telling now his disciples, you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Let me ask you this question. If your prayer life is secret and nobody sees it, how does it profit your flesh? How does it profit your flesh? You know why people don't pray? It's got nothing to do with answering of prayers. It's got to do with, it doesn't profit my flesh. Every genuine spiritual man or woman in the Bible and in history has a hidden prayer life. Not known to man. Not known to man. Known to God. We call this one and that one prayer warrior. Question is, how do you know? But that alone is not enough, okay? You can have a secret prayer life and be still be carnal. Secret prayer life and we still be carnal. So that alone is not enough. You have to go to the next verse. Verse 7. And when you pray, now God says, first God says, go into that secret place where nobody sees. First, go where nobody is aware you are praying. That's the first step. Second step, he says, that alone is not enough. Because there are a lot of people in all religions who pray in secret. That's not enough, he says. Second thing. Do not use vain repetitions. Another translation you use, don't keep babbling. As the heathen do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them. Second thing he says is that, I put it in normal simple language. Don't think your God is an idiot. 
that he needs to understand what you are trying to say. So you need so many words to explain. Your father already knows what you need. Imagine my son comes to me and says, Dad, you know what? Could you please explain to me John chapter 3, which is connected with Peter 1 and also with Isaac. I said, hey, hang on, are you trying to teach me? <laughs> hang in, hang in, hang in there, okay? Hang in there. Are you trying to teach me or are you come to learn? We don't realize some of our prayers are often teaching God. He says, your father already knows. Father already knows what you need. Now understand this. So God says, you see, when you actually go into your prayer closet and when you pray, prayer will involve a lot of listening than speaking. Because you need to know what the father knows what I need. Flesh has its desires, so flesh will go and give one entire shopping list. I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, and I will use in the name of Jesus. I bind everything that is stopping it. I will release everything that is bringing it. Flesh will go berserk. Intellect also has its limits. How much can you understand? But when the spiritual comes, the spirit comes. Now I want to show you what does it mean seeking his kingdom and his righteousness and learning to grow in the spirit. Let's look at scripture, okay? Explain it through scripture. First Corinthians chapter 14. Paul is talking about prayer. We are looking at prayer as an example. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So when I pray in the spirit, my flesh profits nothing, my understanding profits nothing. Question is, how long will you pray in the spirit when it profits nothing to your flesh or your intellect? It's not whether you pray in the spirit. That's irrelevant. Most pray in the spirit. How long will you pray in the spirit when it doesn't profit your flesh or your intellect anything? What is the conclusion then? Paul says, I will pray with the spirit. I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit and also sing with the understanding. This is understanding, yes. But I will not stop there. He says, I will not stop there. You have to read it in context what he is actually saying so that we can connect it to what Jesus is saying. Let's look at the same chapter, chapter 4. Yeah, He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mystery. He says it's a one-way communication. You speak, you don't understand what you're saying. Others don't understand what you're saying. Only he understands. So to pray in the spirit and continuously pray in the spirit will demand incredible surrender to the will of another. Second thing, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Prophecy is like preaching. 
when i preach you all understand you are edified you are exhorted you are comforted so what is the bible talking here about let's look at verse 4 He who speaks in tongues edifies himself but he who prophesies edifies the church Are you getting it No you didn't get it You didn't get it God says in your secret closet you should be praying in the spirit When you come out you should be speaking with understanding unless verse 13 unless verse 13 therefore let him who speaks in tongues pray that he may interpret he says you don't pray in in tongues in public you don't have to you can do it for your person but if you want to pray in just ask god lord i am speaking in a tongue i don't understand it there are people here they need to be edified they need to be exhorted they need to be comforted give me interpretation Are you getting what God is talking about? He says there is a secret place and there is a public place. The man who is in the secret place praying in the spirit and spirit and spirit and spirit and spirit without understanding anything but dying to the flesh and praying in the spirit seeking God's word when he comes out he is able to prophesy exhort comfort edify But that life nobody sees and nobody should see. God says, we have two lives. One is hidden, one is visible. The visible should be a result of the hidden. But in that hidden life, there is no profit for the flesh. There is no profit for the soul, for the intellect. and to have that eden life god says is what the spiritual man understands in ephesians 6 and verse 18 in that war spiritual war he says praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit Just keep praying keep praying pray. to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all he says one of the reasons he says from this you can understand one of the reasons when you pray in the spirit i don't give you understanding is if you knew you wouldn't pray because most of the prayers are for others and it profits doesn't profit you if you really had an eye opener to when you pray in the spirit you will realize my god i prayed for one hour 30 minutes was for my sins and 30 minutes were for others what a waste of time understanding our list is ready five minutes first one second list god says you know what that's why he speaks mysteries mystery means it is hidden it's not revealed now let's turn to romans chapter 8 likewise the spirit also helps in our weaknesses for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought he says we actually don't know what we pray for there's a limit to the flesh there's a limit to the intellect we actually do not know 
what to pray. So God says, first go into the secret, second stop babbling. Like the Gentiles do. You ask anybody in religion. You ask an average Christian, do you pray? Huh? Do you pray every day? What do you pray? The Lord's Prayer. Do you understand it? I never thought about it. They don't understand. Most religious people don't understand what they are praying. And God says, don't babble. Your father already knows what you need. But the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. How does the spirit pray? He prays on his own? He says no. He prays through you. And me, when we get into the closet and we start praying in the spirit, slowly as we move into the spirit, scripture says, the spirit takes over and he starts praying through us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints Ah, circle that according to the will of God. When you pray in the spirit, what happens? God says, one thing I can do with you. I can take your hands off your prayer life. One part of your life is finally surrendered to the will of God because you have no control over it. Your body doesn't know what is happening. Your mind doesn't know what is happening. I am in control and for funds, I am starting to pray through you, for you, according to my father's will. Maybe that's one of the reasons people don't pray in the spirit too long. What is this? The will of God. Now go to Hebrews 5.7 and we will see the practical exposition of this. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered a prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him, was able to save from death and was heard because of his godly prayer. I believe Jesus prayed in tongues. And he cried. And he was given over his body and his mind with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God prayed through him. Groans that could not be uttered. And because I believe he had a, I believe he had a, his voice was like Pastor Vijay's, probably more than that. So he always had to wake up and go to a lonely place because this is the way he prayed. In his prayer life, he offered his body as a living sacrifice for the Holy Spirit to use as he saw fit. Now let's get back to Jesus. Back to what Jesus taught. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need before you ask. In this manner, therefore, pray. Okay. Now he's telling us, when you pray with the understanding part, the spiritual part he takes care of, understanding part, he says, this is the manner you should pray. What is it? Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your father already knows what you need. So this is how you need to pray. Father, let your name be hallowed. May your kingdom come. And everything is connected with one thing. Your will be done. What did the Holy Spirit pray? According to the will of God. 
God says, if I were to give you understanding, you would be so depressed in the flesh, you would stop praying in the spirit also. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Everything Jesus did was centered on this. The will of God. That's our destiny. What is our destiny? We talk about destiny, the year of destiny and all. What is our destiny? This is my destiny. To fulfill the will of God for me. That should be your destiny. Lord, when it is time to go, either death or rapture, I should have fulfilled your will for me on earth. Remember his startling appearance into the humanity, Hebrews 10 verse 5 to 7. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. But a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. That's why I came. What did I came? To do your will. What's my prayer every day? Thy will be? Done in my life. First, thy will be done in this world. That's our prayer. Thy will be done. And then we pray in the spirit. God is turning that prayer into thy prayer be done. Supplication for all. Thy will be done for your people. God had a very detailed plan for his son. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. Very detailed plan for his son. A plan that was absolutely consistent with God's character and his will for him. God has an absolutely detailed plan for every one of you sitting here because all of us are in Christ. Detailed. Where do you find it? In the volume of the book it is written. About each one. In the volume of the book, you and I, when we search, the Holy Spirit will lead us to the will of God. God never intended us to make our own plans and then ask Him to bless them. That is a real insult to the one who created us and redeemed us. We don't even see it that way. Imagine, we don't see our prayers are sometimes what? An insult to God. A God, all-knowing, powerful, holy, mighty God. And we write this prayer request or our request and say, Lord, in Jesus' name, Amen. He says, you know what? Your prayer is an insult. I have a plan for you. You have a plan for yourself. And every time you come to me, you're telling, Lord, release your power for my plan. Jeremiah 10 and verse 23. I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his. It's not his own. It is not for man to direct his steps. Okay. 
So imagine the audacity of man. One who does not pray, he does not, he says, I am my own man and I will direct my own steps. Two, the fellow who prays and goes and tells, I know you own me, but I know better than you, so I will tell you what you need to do with me. We know better than that as parents, right? When we have teenage children and the son or the daughter comes and says, Dad, I need 500 rupees. The first question we ask is, for what? We don't say, ah, yeah, take it, do it whatever you want. We don't say that. But we think God is a fool. I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. I'm invoking your name, just give it. I know better. God says, no, a man's life is not his own. It is not for man to direct his steps. It's not. Proverbs 20 verse 24. A man's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand his own way? It's a rhetorical question. Why do we morning, Pastor Vijay and I were, before praying, we were discussing and we, we get spiritual depression at times, okay? So more you know the word of God, you realize, you know, we realize, in fact we realize, most Christians will not fulfill God's purpose in their life. That's the truth. That's the truth. They will not. It's not that they will not go to heaven. No, Everybody is a child. All who are born again is a child. God loves all children. But they will not fulfill their destiny. And therefore they will miss their crowns. All of eternity. That's the truth. So we always ask this rhetorical question, where are we? Have we lost it already? Okay. Sometimes you worry that one, today morning we are discussing about that 144,000. Is it a numerical number or a hypothetical number? Or Lord, if it's a numerical number, then we have to think. We put a hypothetical case like this. Jesus died in 2000, um, AD 33. Jesus comes back in AD 2033, 2000 years, 144,000, 144,000 divided by 2000. That gets you Per year, how many people? Two. Everyone who died in 2017, hypothetically speaking, mathematical statistics, only two were overcomers. And, next problem. That's a mathematical statistic, that's a problem. If you look in the book of Acts and you see the saints of the book of Acts, so in the first century, it was not two per year, maybe 200, 2000 per year. So when you come down, some years there are no overcomers at all. So we pray, Lord, it's a hypothetical number. (laughs) It is not a real number because we are not talking about coming to you anymore. We are worrying about coming after you. That's what Paul says, forgetting everything. I am pressing on. I am pressing on. So saints who come on Wednesday, you shouldn't be worrying about, am I saved? (laughs) No. (laughs) That is not the question. Okay. So the truth is, will we live out our destiny? God's destiny. Our destiny is the will of God for each one of us. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you, Paul says, begging you. He's not to save people. He says, I'm begging you. 
Brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. He says, first, that flesh, no, that fellow who doesn't like anything spiritual, please offer your body daily as a living sacrifice. Don't allow him to rule. Your power, victory over flesh should be more and more each passing day because then you know at least you are on the road. Second, do not be confirmed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your understanding of kingdom principles, kingdom matters, spiritual understanding should be increasing with each passing day because you are no longer looking at the way the world looks at things. Your perspective has changed because you are seeing now the way God looks at things. What happens? That you may prove what is that good, acceptable and perfect will of God. Perfect. The perfect will of God is there. And he says, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. There's a perfect will of God. Good pleasing and all. It's more than that. It is perfect will of God, which only the spirit will be able to say. If you, listen, if I, if you hear, see a message, ah, the flesh will say, good. And immediately what you will do, you will put on your WhatsApp, after listening to the message, two hands clapping and two thisting. Good. Why? Right? The flesh said, fantastic, you were so happy. Another one which stimulates your mind, you will put the other one like this. Okay. But the one that touches your spirit, usually you have no reaction. Why do you have no reaction? Because you are on your knees before God. You have no reaction, you know this is true. And you look at that, and you look at yourself in the mirror, you realize, you know what, I am not prepared for this. Yet I know, this could be the perfect will of God for me, and I am not prepared for this. I will, hypothetically speaking, most people miss their destiny, God-given destiny. Because we haven't learned, are not learning in an increasing manner, the discipline of obedience. That's what Jesus is trying to get into, how the kingdom of God works. I can never fulfill the will of God unless I am first obedient. God is not first revealing to anybody the will of God. He's first teaching us obedience. Hebrews 5.8 Though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things that he... Like I said, you join the army, they are not going to teach you to shoot. They are not going to That is later. What do they teach? They teach you to obey. They teach you to obey. So one day, when they tell you to shoot, you will shoot without blinking or asking questions. They don't teach you all these things. The first thing in the army they teach you is to obey. That's why even if an officer brings victory by disobeying higher orders, he's still court martial. 
still court martial. The victory is irrelevant. Victory is good. They said, fine, but you go to jail because you disobeyed orders. You were taught first to obey. Not victory was not the thing. You were first taught to obey. Thirty years of his life, what the father taught his son who came in this flesh was learn to obey. Learn to obey. When is my ministry that tell you? Learn to obey. Am I ready? Obey. 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 Thirty years. No ministry. Learn to obey. What is the will of God and for you and me? First, learn to obey. At the age of thirty, God said, rise. Three years of incredible, effective ministry in the eyes of the Father. Not anybody else. Brothers had an opinion. No, if you really want to be a well-known preacher, then you should be putting out posters pointing like this. Pastor Vijay says, no? Jesus said, your time is always. I will go to the wilderness. Thank you. Father has an idea of ministry. Brothers have an idea about ministry. He said, I'll stick to my father because I've been taught to obey my father. Our problem is when we are pulled by so many things, we are not able to go in the way the Spirit is telling us to go because we were never taught to obey first. It's not that we do We know deep inside the Spirit is telling there is some problem with all these things. This is the way. But you suddenly look at that way and say, sorry, everybody is going that way. I am the only one. This way I will go that way because we never learn to obey. Because he learned to obey, he had an incredibly effective ministry in the eyes of the Father, not in the eyes of the world. Till today, the world says, he was a failure. Loving, kind teacher, but a failure. But the Father says, absolutely effective servant. And his closing statement of his ministry, of his work, is from the cross, it is finished. Done the perfect, complete will of my father. It's done. God can speak and lead in so many different ways. But only a yielded soul can hear from him. Are you getting it? God, God says, how are you leading? He says, uh, if you read my scripture, there are 24 different ways. And somebody else will study and find there are 48 different ways. Another one will come up and say there are 96 different ways. God can lead us in multitude of ways. But only a yielded soul will hear his leading. Because we have to hear. There was a time in Daniel's life, he prayed. He didn't get an answer. But he prayed. And he prayed. And he prayed. And he prayed. For how many days? 21 days. Then the answer came. 21. Same prayer. I need an answer for this. 21 days. Isaac prayed for his wife to conceive for 20 years. In Jeremiah's case, in Jeremiah's case, 42 verse 4. Jeremiah the prophet said, I have heard indeed, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words. It shall be whatever the Lord answers you. I will declare it to you. I will keep nothing back from you. He says, okay, you want me to find the will of God? I will go pray. What does scripture say? Next verse. Ten days later, the word of the Lord came. Will we wait? 
Will we wait? Will we yield in prayer? Will we yield? That's a problem with Samuel, no, Saul, no? Time is up, time is up, God, time is up. I have to do something about this. Whose plan? Whose plan is it? God says, why are you so tense about it? Whose plan is it? Mine or yours? If it's my plan, I should be tense, right? Why are you tense? Man's life is at his own. Whose life is it? Exodus 24, 16. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, what did you do for six days? Nothing. You fasted and you waited. Six days. Absolute silence. Nothing. He didn't say, Lord, why are you not answering me? Why did you bring up here all the people? Nothing. The seventh day, God spoke to him. That's the question. What God is talking about. In the year of destiny for many, have you really changed from inside? Because God wants to bring everyone to higher level of yielding and obedience so His will can come to pass in our lives. That's, that's God looking for. Who is there? Who is actually seeking my will? Who really realizes, not just says, realizes, my life is not my own. That's why I told many teenagers, you will really know you are after God when you leave this place and you have the freedom and the autonomy to decide. God is always watching our obedience. Because it is to that we are called. The will of God. In 1 Peter chapter 1. We are the elect. God. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. For what? In sanctification of the Spirit. For obedience. For obedience. And sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be mother. What were we? Foreknowledge of God. For what? We hear about sanctification, we talk about sanctification, we play, study all about sanctification. God says, okay, pretty good. Where is your obedience? Even as you are getting sanctified, God says, are we becoming more obedient? Flesh hates this. What hates it? Flesh hates this. Spirit leads to more and more of this. Pastor Vijay and I were discussing and we were talking about Jesus' ministry. Okay, three and a half years ministry. There are two, three parts of Jesus' ministry. Uh, the most successful part, if you look in terms of ministry, is when he died on the cross. Because of that, we are all saved. So that is the fulfillment of his ministry. Then there are two other parts. One is his public ministry where he preached and healed, a demonstration of God's power, everything. Then there is the second part. The second part is that in three and a half years, he got 11 disciples. Okay. The first part is irrelevant. 
That was only for that generation. They ate, they drank, they died. The second part where he raised 11 disciples brought the next generation in. That's what he, he and I were talking. That our success in ministry, we are not called to die on the cross for the salvation of others. No, we don't do that. It's only one. But our success in ministry will be always counted by not by the crowds, the ministration of his power, how many disciples we did we raise to reach the next generation. If we fail in that, our ministry is a failure. Moses was not a failure. He raised two leaders, a generation of disciples. Joshua was a failure. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Do you know Joshua's son's name? Even his sons were not disciples. He raised up no next generation disciples to lead the third generation. So they went away in their own ways. Understand what God demands from different people. We are very clear what God demands from us. God says, you bring disciples out. That is the commission. Those disciples will generate another set of disciples. That is how the gospel has reached from there till today. Not because of the crowds. It's only because of the disciples. And discipleship is difficult. Because at the core of becoming a disciple is that word called discipline. And the core of discipline is obedience. And Jesus was that perfect disciple of the Spirit of God because he learned obedience by what he suffered. Understand? That's what's happening with all of us. Are we obedient? Are we obedient? Ask. Are we obedient? It's a simple question you young ones have to ask. That's the whole thing. Are we obedient? Are we obedient? Because that's the key. That, that's what God is looking for. That's the only thing God is looking for. Now, are you obedient? And it is those he can use. So that we will not fail and fall. God says that's okay. But... When you fail and fall, because you were trained in obedience, you will come back to repentance. And sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Even repentance is an act of obedience. It's an act of obedience. It's an act of obedience. That's the first act of obedience, of salvation. I heard the word, realized this is what I am, this is what he is. See, you repent. What is that? An act of obedience. Understand? We are not talking about being perfect. We are talking about being blameless. The only way anyone can become blameless in the sight of God is by the sprinkling of the blood. But you grow in your obedience. So keep this in mind. Keep this in mind. Okay. Redeem your time. Learn to obey. Okay. You should be, all of you are teenagers now, except Abigail and Amy and the other two little ones, Joanne and, okay, all of young, I'm talking especially to the young ones because you've got a, you've got a, got a brilliant start ahead because you're young. 
ka yahu the older you get the more indisciplined and disobedient you were it becomes more difficult to get disciplined and obedient because that's the nature of the flesh the flesh has become stronger and stronger and stronger but when you are young like a joseph or a david or a daniel if you have learned the discipline of obeying you will also like joseph reign in the coming kingdom like david be picked up there and reign in the kingdom and like daniel stand before every king and give them the counsel of god simply because if you look at the what was that these three were young and they had learned the discipline of obedience and it all happens in the secret place the secret place our obedience is not in public our obedience is with god in that secret place that's real obedience start with prayer all those who have been baptized in the spirit exercise that gift to the maximum there's no profit for the flesh there there's no profit for the intellect there you don't understand unless he gives interpretation i told you in all my life he's given me interpretation of my own tongues only once or twice when i needed to hear that's when he gave otherwise somebody interpreted when i was praying but other than that most of the time there's no interpretation but you never cease though he doesn't profit the flesh doesn't titillate the mind you still realize a man is not his own it's not his own sunday god willing if he tarries to come we will look at the next thing about fasting when you fast if that's what he gives for sunday let's pray father we just come to you we just thank you we just praise you we just worship you lord thank you thank you thank you lord help us to first know and accept that we are not our own and we cannot therefore order our steps we are yours and you have to order our steps but we also have the power to choose to go our way so i pray this year will be yielded even more oh god to your will to be disciples because you can add everything else you can give us power in an instant you can give us knowledge and understanding but you cannot give us the discipline of obedience in a day it's a life so i pray father that you continue to teach us and discipline us until the obedience of christ is found in us come in the church here especially the young ones i pray lord they will desire this because they will know their destiny god given destiny not only for this life but also for the life to come is connected with this one thing that they will be obedient children and you will open their eyes more and more to the reality of your kingdom as each day passes by lord
Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. You brought us safely to your house. Now we believe and we pray you will reach us also safely. Thank you, thank you, Father. We commit all those who are not well in the body of Christ. And be by faith, speak your word of healing, that your word will go forth and touch them and heal them and strengthen them, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.